Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade parts used with permission. A gift most humans never receive in a lifetime. Stand by for action. This is the Bob and Jeff Show, starring Bob Lutz. That what I do on this show doesn't matter. I'm, my legacy is cemented. I'm good with the listeners. They adore me. And what I say doesn't matter. Jeff Lutz. Yeah, all you do is make it about you. During the show, I want to be available and accessible. Excellent. 97.5 and 1240 KFH. Stand by for action. All right, welcome back. Hour number two, the Bob and Jeff Show. I'm with Mike Purchase today. We welcome Jesse Newell in on the hotline. Jesse, of course, covers the Chiefs for the Kansas City Star and the Wichita Eagle. Uh, we're a day away from the Chiefs' opener tomorrow night against the Detroit Lions. Of course, they're defending a Super Bowl championship. Hello, Jesse. Hey, how's it going? It's going well. Lots to talk about with the Chiefs. I want to start with Chris Jones. I saw uh, the clip of him and his news conference or his impromptu news conference today in which reporters were talking to him. Uh, First of all, he seems like he held it together really well in the face of a few questions that I'm not sure about. Somebody asked him if he's concerned about this hurting his teammates. Uh, Is that really, I don't know, how do you feel about that? Is that... Is that uh, on the table for the what's going on with Chris Jones right now? Um, well, his answer to that one is pretty interesting, actually, because he basically emphatically said no. But I don't think it's off the table. You know, I, I think we've seen tones change a little bit in the last few weeks with Chris Jones. And I understand players wanting the best for each other and wanting the best for, uh, you know, if you're talking about a an owner versus player sort of relationship, getting the most money those sorts of things. I can understand where players would be kind of solidified in, in that sort of stance, but Chiefs are a little bit different. You know, Patrick Mahomes makes the eighth most amount of money out of all the quarterbacks on an average per year basis. Uh, Travis Kelsey agreed to a, a pretty team-friendly long-term deal, and those guys seem to be a lot focused on playing with really good teammates and doing what's best for the overall team and winning a bunch of championships and letting everything settle from there. So, I do think that there's more of an element on the Chiefs maybe than it would be in other places. And Mahomes was asked about Chris Jones a couple of weeks ago, and he said, hey, you know, welcome him back with open arms when he comes back. You know, he's got to do what's best for his family. I asked him this week, you know, I said, what are your thoughts now? It looks like you're going to go without Chris Jones. And it was much more muted. It was much more kind of company line about, well, you just got to play with the guys that are in the building. So I don't know if the narrative has changed on this one, but 
I think potentially it could be with certain people in there, and, and probably the most important two you'll be talking about are Mahomes and Kelsey. And if the uh, if the sea change comes with those guys, then I think the sea change would come in the locker room as well. I don't know if it's gotten to that point yet, but I do think that Chris Jones actually sitting out games, which is what's going to happen tomorrow, is getting this to a, a different point and potentially one that uh, the teammates probably didn't think it was going to get to. I guess my overall point there would be that it's kind of hard to take sides between Chiefs management and a player. Uh, I don't know. Maybe maybe it's not as hard. Maybe maybe this is an obvious one where uh, we all feel like Chris Jones is doing a disservice to his team. I don't know. Those kinds of things are complicated to me. Uh, let's talk about the stuff that maybe isn't complicated, and that's what to expect from the Chiefs on the field. Uh, what's the latest with Travis Kelsey and his injury? Yeah, I just listed a few minutes ago on the Chiefs injury report is questionable. Uh, you know, hyperextension of his knee is what Andy Reid reported yesterday. He didn't really want to talk too much more about it. It seems like the low, most likely scenario here is that the Chiefs dodged a bullet in that, you know, this is not an ACL injury. This is something that just requires uh, the swelling to go down, and um, they, they avoided a long-term injury with Travis Kelsey, which is something you have to worry about as the guy gets up there in age, you know, into his mid to late 30s where he's been so healthy for so long, you can't just assume that's always going to be the case. And that even he has talked about how fortunate he's been at times to, to have his almost whole career go without really having a, a serious injury here in the last few years. But, I, I mean, the most likely scenario to me is that he'll sit out tomorrow. He'll have a week and a half to rest up and potentially be back for the Jacksonville game a week from Sunday, um, but I, I don't think it's ruled out yet. I mean, I, I think the Chiefs want to test it. I think the Chiefs want to get him on the field and see what he looks like, but I think if Cooler had to do prevail, it would make a lot of sense for Travis Kelsey to sit this one out, take it easy, make sure that uh, he doesn't do anything to further damage that knee and potentially come back in a week's time, which, again, based off all indications and what we knew yesterday, that would be a great result still for the Chiefs to only lose that guy potentially one week. Chiefs at home tomorrow night. They open the season uh, against the Detroit Lions, who are expected to be interesting. Uh, some people even think Detroit could be a contending team in the NFC. I don't know if I'm, I'm going to go quite that far, but how do you see this matchup? Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I think trending in the right direction. We know how they finished last season. I mean, for a while, it seemed like Dan Campbell was on the hot seat, and then uh, the Lions just really – lit it up down the stretch. You know, the rookies played better. Aiden Hutchinson improved his play. Uh, their defense went from really bad to, like, average-ish, sort of top third-ish in the league. So a lot of good things happened. Plus, you know, their offensive coordinator, Ben Johnson, is a superstar. I mean, he should be a head coach here within a couple of years. And some of the creative things that they do in their run game and with the power run game along with a really good offensive line, I, I think that uh, that caught the attention of the rest of the league. Even without having a stellar defense, they were able to compete in those early games. And then once they turned some of those things around in the second half of the season, they were one of the toughest teams in the NFC. And I think you said it right. Now. I mean, this Lions team, if they're in the AFC, they would be kind of one of those teams in the running and make a playoff spot. I think in the NFC this year, they're the favorites in their division. And you potentially give them a chance just because you're looking around for other good teams in the NFC. And there's just not that many, you know, I mean, we talk about the Eagles, obviously, and, and what they did and, and being one of the top teams returning. But outside of that, it really seems like them and the 49ers, uh, the NFC can be pretty open. So, yeah, I'd expect um, tomorrow, I, I think both offenses, you know, no surprise here, but should have success. Now, it might be sustained drives, and it might not be lighting up the scoreboard because the teams both 
uh, last year showed that you could be successful on drives that were long. You know, they didn't have to have the huge plays to go out and have success. And Chiefs and the Lions were two of the most successful teams in the NFL last year, throwing behind the sticks and kind of let their guys run to open space and, and get uh, a bunch of yardage that way. So I could definitely see both these offenses succeeding. The uh, Lions tried to improve their secondary with some free agent signings in the offseason. We'll see how it goes. I mean, I think they're trying to take a step from below average defensively to average-ish and then let their offense play from there. But we've seen with Patrick Mahomes, um, he can beat bad defenses, he can beat average defenses, and he can definitely beat good defenses as we saw in the Super Bowl last year. So I think it's an intriguing matchup. I saw Dan Wetzel had a story out today about potentially Detroit thinking or feeling or having thoughts that this could be like the game of the century for them. And you sort of understand that a few years ago, the Chiefs went to New England when New England had the the inflatable Lombardi trophies on the field when they were celebrating the Super Bowl, and the Chiefs waltzed in there and beat them pretty good and kind of announced to a national audience that they were going to be good that year. Uh, potentially, this is kind of the Lions' opportunity to do that, to go in, to take on the chance, to prove it to the world and to themselves that they are one of those teams in the mix. And so I can definitely see a very motivated Lions team coming into Arrowhead tomorrow. Jesse Newell with us from the Kansas City Star. We're talking about the Chiefs. Again, they open tomorrow night at home against Detroit. Uh, you, I think you mentioned uh, the AFC and, and the number of really talented, good teams. Uh, there's no question that the Chiefs are the favorite, but there's a lot of teams uh, vying for that. Uh, wh- who are the most viable amongst those AFC contenders uh, to maybe knock the Chiefs off this perch? You know, I'd still stick with the Bills. Um, I, I know that they had the disappointing in the last season, but Vaughn Miller was hurt. Josh Allen battled through an injury the whole year, and if he's healthy now, um, kind of a, if he's at the level that we saw him play at Arrowhead, I mean, obviously that's a team that's beaten the Chiefs in the regular season and beat him through 99.9% of a playoff game at Arrowhead. So I think they're pretty formidable. It seems like they've made some win-now moves the last couple of years to kind of sh- you know, shorten their window a little bit, but I still think they're a really good team, one of the best out there. No surprise that the Bengals are going to be on that list. Um, if we'd have a whole different narrative, if the Bengals could have pulled off that game in the AFC Championship against the Chiefs, which that would have given them four straight wins against the Chiefs. We'd be talking about, can the Chiefs beat this team, or is that just a team the Chiefs are just always going to have their number in, in that particular game? So those two stand out. I mean, the Jets have an amazing defense. Uh, can Aaron Rodgers give them average quarterback play? you know, slightly above average. If so, that's a team you could see taking a major jump. But, you know, you get to that second tier, and there's a bunch of teams you could say, you don't have to squint that hard to say, hey, they, they could be better this year. I mean, I know the Chargers are everybody's, every sports writer's media favorite this time of year, but uh, Justin Herbert, seen, he had an injury last year, and he seemed like he was held back by his offensive coordinator, and they've got a new one and a good one in Kellen Moore. So, potentially, that's a big step. And, and if they're a little bit healthier this year, you know, that's a team that you could see competing in there. I mean, what about the Ravens? They seem to be in it every single year, and Lamar Jackson now on his big deal, uh, kind of a different offense taking over there. I mean, you could go Jacksonville. I mean, Jacksonville had a chance to beat the Chiefs in the playoffs last year when Mahomes went down and, and were in that game until the end. So I think there's a lot of different teams out there that you wouldn't really um, – it wouldn't be a stretch to say that they could compete in this AFC. And it does seem like, to me, I can't remember a difference in the two conferences as wide as this one where – a team that is on the fringe of the playoffs in the AFC could easily be a you know a division winner, bye week holder in the NFC. So we'll see how that all plays out. But it also kind of plays into the Chiefs' schedule, where uh, there aren't going to be many 
weeks off this year, at least as it's, it looks right now. Obviously, things change over the course of the season, but uh, as it stands, it sure seems like this is a tougher conference and the Chiefs are going to have the tougher slate to go through when compared to a team like the Eagles or the 49ers. Yeah, and the Chiefs also play Jacksonville. They play the Jets. Uh, they obviously play the teams in their division. Uh, they play Buffalo. They play Cincinnati. Uh, from the NFC, they play Philadelphia. But I think I've learned my lesson because last year the the schedule the Chiefs had looked daunting, and they just kind of uh, waltzed their way through it. So I'm not going to play schedule game again this year. Uh, Jesse Newell with us from the Kansas City Star. Uh, who are the players, Jesse, that maybe we don't know a whole lot about for the Chiefs, uh, but that uh, we'll know a whole lot about them in two or three or four weeks? Are there players like that, in your opinion? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think most fans will know Sky Moore by now, but his role as a receiver is going to change this year. He had 250 receiving yards last year. Um, I've been on the record. I think he's going for 900-plus this year. Uh, he's going to play. I talked to him in the locker room earlier this week. Uh, he said he's going to play the Juju role, or that's what he's expecting to play, and we know Juju led the Chiefs in receiving yards at around 933 last season, and so he's going to be that intermediate threat, sometimes run deep overs, but just kind of be that pressure release for Patrick Mahomes when there's a zone out there and he's kind of finding that crease. And in his second year, he has a greater understanding of the offense. So I definitely expect a big year for him if he stays healthy. Uh, the tackles are going to be one to watch, especially Aiden Hutchinson for the Lions is going to be a big test. But they're going to right tackle spot. Uh, Jawan Taylor, he gets one of the best kick steps off the line of scrimmage of any player in football and really can neutralize the pass rush by doing that. It looks like a false start sometimes, but if you look really closely, and I talked to, this, uh, about, to him about this in the locker room, Earlier this week, you know, he's kind of playing the snap count just like other guys play the snap count. He's making sure uh, at home he's listening to the cadence uh, of Patrick Mahomes. And on the road, he's looking at the head of Creed Humphrey to know exactly when to go. And so when he gets that jump off the ball simultaneously, it's really, really hard to get around him because he's beating the defender to the spot. So the Chiefs seem pretty confident in the offensive line, in fact, to the point where I think a lot of people, the buzz around the building is this might be the best offensive line that Patrick Mahomes has had. Uh, you know, as a chief. So if that's the case, then I think you're going to see a lot from right tackle Jawan Taylor and just be ready to see and think that potentially he's jumping off sides on that false start, but that's not exactly the case. And then um, a couple on the sec- on the defensive side, I would say Brian Cook. Uh, he's the quarterback of the defense only in his second year, but he was the third safety a year ago. This year he's communi- communicating a lot of the calls, a uh, very vocal leader out there. And if his production matches sort of that leadership role he's taken on, then he should play a big role for the chiefs. And, Rookie Chamari Connor, uh, he's a guy from the fourth round. He is versatile. He can play safety. He can play nickelback. Uh, but I think early on he'll be a special teams wizard and also a guy that will run off the edge and blitz the heck out of quarterbacks as an athletic freak for the Chiefs. So be sure to look for number 27 in there. If he's on the field, he's probably blitzing. And if he's blitzing, uh, he might be bringing the heat to a, a quarterback, especially when the Chiefs are trying to work around what they're going to do defensively without Chris Jones. Final uh, moments here with Jesse Newell of the Kansas City Star. You mentioned uh, your prediction about Sky Moore. Uh, is there any chance that uh, my guy, my fantasy guy, is going to do anything, Kadarius Tony? I need him to get 900 yards and about 10 touchdowns. Come on, man. Uh, there's always a chance. So here's here's the good news with Kadarius Tony. If you look at the, the usage for the Chiefs, when they have him on the field, they utilize him. They target him. They get him the football. Here's the bad news with Kadarius Tony: How much is he going to be on the field? And how much is he just sort of a package player? And, and that's the question of this opener, which is he just came back to practice this week. He missed all of training camp after knee surgery. 
Um, how much can they utilize him? He's just not going to be a 60-play-a-game guy, at least not in the short term. I expect him to get him out there 10, 15, 20 plays. But the good news for you is, like, if he's out there 10, 15, 20 plays, he could get six touches and maybe get a touchdown. So probably a risky bet for a fantasy team for this particular week. But if he continues to show he can be healthy, the Chiefs love his skill set, love what he can do. And if he can get out there for more plays, then his production is going to go up. The big question is just whether he can get out there. And that question remains one to be answered, especially after what they saw last season with him and what the Giants saw from him in the previous seasons after he got drafted in the first round. I'm trading him. <laughs> Jesse, don't, thank don't you. Give, we don't always give appreciate everybody else the audio. <laughs> We always appreciate you. Thanks for being on. Yeah, don't don't give the fellow owner the audio of this one. Just uh, just just say you don't like him anymore. That that works. There you go. <laughs> Thanks, Jesse. Uh, Jesse Newell from the Kansas City Star. Chiefs Lions tomorrow. We'll make that pick on the show as we make picks tomorrow. Uh, let's, what is that line? I'm going to have to look that one up. That is a four and a half point game. According to the bookmakers, Chiefs favored uh, by four and a half over the Detroit Lions. Be interesting to see how all of us pick that game, and we'll again uh, do that tomorrow on the show. We'll take a break. When we come back, we'll talk to an author. Name uh, uh, name is John Eisenberg. He's got a new book out called Rocket Men: The Black Quarterbacks Who Revolutionized Pro Football, and uh, he'll join the show next. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular-season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. This is the Bob and Jeff Show on 97.5 and 12.40 KFH. There you go, little ELO with Mike Purchase on the show. That makes sense. Rock and roll is king. We are with John Eisenberg, who has a new book out. It's called Rocket Men, the Black Quarterbacks Who Revolutionized Pro Football. Uh, John, a former sports writer, and once a sports writer, always a sports writer. That's certainly my field. John, welcome. How are you? I'm doing well, and you're certainly right about that. Yeah, you're you're forever a sports writer once you head down that road. So uh, what was the impetus for this uh, new book about black quarterbacks? 
We're certainly in an era where there are, are many more than there used to be, very highly successful black quarterbacks. We've got one uh, two and a half hours up the road from us here in Patrick Mahomes. So what uh, drew you to this topic? Well, as I said, I'm in Baltimore. I've been here for 35 years. Uh, so mo- most recently sort of followed the arc of Lamar Jackson coming into the league and what he dealt with and uh, uh, the success he had, even though at the Combine uh, he had a scout tell him he'd be a great wide receiver, uh, which is uh, what black quarterbacks have heard going back to the 1950s. And so that. Uh, it made me stop and think that, you know, the and then in his second season, he's MVP of the NFL. So it, it uh, this is my 11th book. Uh, I've written a lot of history, pro football history, some baseball history, a little bit of horse racing. And I always found when you go back, if you go back and talk to a lot of those old football heroes of yesteryear, which I've done in different projects, and talk to some of the black players, uh, it's very interesting what comes out, uh, what what they were thinking about, what their priorities were, their view of things is often different than what you expected as a fan watching. And so uh, it's uh, always interesting, and race has been a thread that's run through, a uh, narrative thread that's run through many of my books. And I don't know, just watching Lamar uh, and uh, here in Baltimore, I thought, you know, this is a big subject. And how did we get here? That's what I really, I started this book in 2019. How did we get here? Uh, And a lot has changed for black quarterbacks even since then. Uh, And uh, certainly the story is there, that years and years, uh, the guys couldn't get on the field. And uh, there was a lot of uh, denial by stereotype. And uh, it's a powerful saga and a lot of ups, a lot of downs. And I thought, you know, this is uh, the kind of thing that appeals to me. So uh, I just... Decided to take it on. It's, uh, as I said, a big story. It took a long time, a lot of research and interviews. But uh, I I feel like it's important to shine a light on it and say, listen, this is something that happened. Uh, There were many years of of trouble for these guys. And uh, let's not forget it. This is Mike Furches here. I've got a question. This weekend marks the 51st anniversary uh, for the first starting black quarterback in the SEC, which was Condrich Holloway. And there was a lot of debate and a lot of uh, racism, to be just blatantly honest about it, that was taking place, which is one of the reasons it took so long. Uh, What other players like Condridge do you think that broke the barrier toward the NFL and other teams began to say, hey, maybe we need to give this a shot? Well, Condridge is in my book. uh, You know, there there are generations of guys that were just, uh, uh, their timing was terrible. Can you imagine Conridge Holloway, if you saw him play back then, in today's NFL with the with the run-pass option, the ability to tuck the ball in and run or step back and throw, tailor-made for a guy like that. Uh, uh, you know, he is in my book and, and uh, for that reason. And the guys came along in the 70s, the 80s. I'll go back even a little bit before that. Eldridge Dickey uh, was a, a player, a black quarterback. He was at Tennessee State. He came out of Houston almost a freak of nature. He could throw the ball 60 yards downfield. He could throw left-handed or right-handed as fast as the wind, smart. And so he's drafted in the first round by the Oakland Raiders in 1968. He's the first modern first-round draft pick. It's a black quarterback. He never, and the Raiders are to be commended for taking that on, uh, but they, they uh, and pro football was different then. They had Daryl LaMonica. They drafted Ken Stabler one round behind him. Eldridge never played a down of, of uh, professional football as a quarterback. And so 
you know, there's a bunch of guys like that that uh, just never got a shot and yet had clearly had the talent to succeed. But uh, football was different. The mindset was different. And uh, it's, uh, you know, it's great where we are now. And it's wonderful to see so much more success and guys uh, succeeding and making money and all that. But uh, it's preceded by decades of, of a lot of busted dreams. John Eisenberg, our guest, we're talking about his new book, Rocket Men, the Black Quarterbacks Who Revolutionized Pro Football, and uh, it's it's uh, quite an endeavor. But you mentioned uh, the number of books that you've written, and they're, they're numerous uh, since you stopped being a quote-unquote sports writer, although that's still what you're doing. How did you jump off and, and decide you were going to do that first book, and did you know exactly what you were getting into? Uh, did I know? Absolutely not. Uh, I was, uh, I was writing columns at the Baltimore sun in the 1990s and that was great. Uh, you know, it was a wonderful, it was a dream job. Uh, they glory days of newspapers. They sent me around the country, around the world, you know, to, to cover things, the Olympics, the world cup of soccer. It was great. Uh, but I always sort of had a hankering to, to try to write a book. So I came home from the Kentucky Derby one year when uh, a real long shot had won a horse no one remembers by the name of Lil E.T. won the race and uh, and I uh, wrote a story about him and how what a long shot he was and it just struck me this is uh, the type of thing that I could sink my teeth into so I wound up selling that deal to a publisher and and wrote the book and that was a starting off point for me so for many years I did both I I had two writing lives I I wrote the books uh, on one of those rails, and in the other was I still did the daily journalism columns. And so it was a lot. I look back on it now and sort of say, how in the world did you do that? But, but um, you know, uh, it was worthwhile, and I, I do enjoy doing the books. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's very gratifying. So uh, that continues. Well, I was a daily columnist at the newspaper here in Wichita for a long time, and my brain shuts off after 800 words, so I just wanted to ask you about <laughs> how you do that book thing. That's uh, admirable. Well, believe me, you're talking to someone that can relate to that, uh, but uh, the 800 words. But uh, I don't know. Uh, I found after a while you got into a groove with it, and uh, the one writing one way helped another way. It was quite jarring because uh, the newspaper stuff is, is all written in a hurry, all written on deadline barely have time to think about it and suddenly it's in the public realm and people are commenting on it and telling you you're smart and telling you you're stupid or whatever. And, and, uh, the books that take years to produce and nobody sees it, but you until the very end and it's slow and tedious, but, uh, somehow I found that it all meshed together and, uh, and, uh, you know, one helped the other, you become pretty glib. There's no such thing as a blank screen. You know, you're, 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 the words come easily. So you've got this book out, Rocket Man, and it's uh, obviously doing very well. Is there another book in the works? Is there? Are you in the idea stage? Are you in the? I want to kick back for a while. How does that work with you, John? Uh, I'm in the kickback right now. I'll be honest with you. Uh, this, as I said, is my eleventh book. Uh, I've done a lot of them. Uh, I, I really like my publisher. They enjoy writing football history. Uh, I did one before this called The League on the early days of the NFL and the owners who who kept the the league afloat, really. They're all in the Hall of Fame. George Hallis, Burt Bell, those guys. 
Uh, I wrote a a book about those guys and how they kept the league alive and set it up to succeed. And this is the follow-up to that. And I I don't know what will come next. Uh, I'll just have to see. But uh, this one was a heavy lift, as they say. So I'll uh, I'll just wait and and see see what rolls uh, my way. But uh, at this point, nothing. John, you, you, we were talking earlier, and you talked about the history and how things have changed to some extent. Where, where do you think we're at right now in the history in regards to pro football? What, what do we have to look forward to, or what changes do you see happening in the near future? In pro football? Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think certainly when it comes to black quarterbacks, you're seeing a lot of uh, improvement in their circumstances, and they've changed the nature of the game. I mean, there's a lot more sort of uh, it's not just drop back passing anymore there's a lot more mobility a lot more creativity on offense uh, than what existed Um, you know I think I mean football has never been more popular than it is now Uh, I do worry uh, you know about some of these head trauma issues uh, uh, that are hanging over the game Um, that that is a problem I think uh, for some people uh, you know, I understand the concerns there, but uh, the, the popularity, it's never been more popular than it is now. And uh, it's, uh, it is definitely, and I'm a baseball fan, but there's no doubt that football is the national obsession. So I think uh, it's, it's uh, if anything, uh, I would say this, having written quite a bit of history and dealt with the forefathers a little bit, I would be careful uh, to understand that it's all based on one thing, and that is keeping the product good and interesting and not just focusing on the money. I mean, there's a lot, an unbelievable amount of money. It's easily easy to get distracted, but I would say just remember that your game is what matters the most. And, you know, when you tinker with the rules, be careful, keep it interesting, keep it fair, and, uh, you know, don't and, and don't mess with it. I think that's that's something that they, they all need to be careful about. John Eisenberg has been our guest. His new book is Rocket Men, the Black Quarterbacks Who Revolutionized Pro Football. You mentioned uh, football, the national obsession, no question about it. We also know you're from Baltimore, and I would think the Orioles are that city's obsession right now, right? No doubt about it. Uh, coming out of nowhere. And uh, they got a really nice team and uh, a season that maybe people thought this would happen in 2025. It's happening in 2023. And uh, it's a lot of fun to watch. Uh, I can't tell you how many nights I spent over the years at Camden Yards. And and uh, it was sad to see the ballpark empty. And it's nice to see it filling up again. And let me tell you, they're lined up for a while. They, they have some young players already here. They got several generations coming they've done a nice job of of building up that farm system and they're going to be good they're going to be good for a while so it's fun to watch no question about it john thank you so much we appreciate your time Uh, my pleasure thank you john eisenberg has been our guest an author a writer a sports guy kind of relate to those people but i don't think uh, i got i don't think i got a book in me (laughs) i bet you do I, i i still think you do I'd have to yeah. give up something, and I'm not. Yeah. I'm not sure what that would be, but maybe you never know. You never say never. Eight six nine twelve forty. A final few moments here on the show. Uh, happy to have you listening. Happy to have Mike Furches in today. Uh, we were talking earlier. We like to talk pop culture with Mike because uh, he pays attention to that kind of stuff. Big movie goer. You did finally see the finale of 
justified prime evil, yeah, uh, city prime evil. I thought it was a colossal flop, and uh, maybe that's too harsh. I think it's a little harsh. I I love Justified. I love the characters in it. My favorite character was not in it, without giving too much away until the last episode. Uh, and uh, but as a story, it really felt really short this year. Uh, just to get to see Raylan back was good, uh, but that he was he was all that was back. It, there's something about that country attitude, Hazard, Kentucky, uh, with with Southern style. Uh, characters that made it that seemed to make it work for me. I, I don't know if you've ever been to Harlan, Kentucky. I have. I have not. And uh, it's it's a uh, the series did it justice. It's 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 a little mountain town, and uh, the characters were spot on. And I think we missed it. I was I did not like him in Detroit. Uh, I thought it was out of place. His character was not anything like it was in the original Justified series. I am very hopeful, however, when you like the last 15 minutes of the final episode better than you like the whole series, or better than you like the whole season, I should say. Yeah, but it feels almost like manipulation. And without getting into the details, anybody who saw it knows what we're talking about. But it felt like, okay, we just told a really crappy story, so let's, let's give 15 minutes of hope. Yeah. To the people who watched eight episodes of nonsense. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. but You know what it kind of reminds me of? It kind of reminded me of Dexter, The Return of Dexter. De- the Return of Dexter was really good, though, I thought. Until the final episode, or did you like the final episode? I liked episode? all of it. Yeah. I, there, I know you didn't care much for the way it ended. Yeah, I thought there was a lot of criticism. Well, I don't know how it ended. Well, right. Yeah, I mean, we don't really know. I, there's a lot of comparisons, I think, between Justified and Dexter, rightly or wrongly. I was disappointed. I, there was... It's so hard to not give some things away. There are certain times that when the the Equalizer with Denzel Washington, if you've seen any of those series, there are times that it's almost enjoyable to see a bad guy get killed. Right. In this one, you really don't care. <laughs> In this season, well, it just, just kind of just happened. Yeah, and you don't and you don't really care. I never really bought into the villain. No, I didn't buy into him. I uh, never bought into the girlfriend. I never bought into the relationship. That Timmy, Timothy Oliphant and his character developed. Never bought into the location. Never bought into the bar owner. Yeah. Uh, never bought in. It was well. The only I thing kept you... watching it, but it never clicked for me. Yeah, I don't think this is giving too much away. The only thing that I really gave into, that I thought this is this can make it good, was the Albanian mob, and then they ruined that. Yeah. I mean, the Alba- that should have been the focal point. Yeah, the Albanian mob is not a group of people to mess with. No. And, and then, again, without giving too much, they ruined it. How in the world did they ruin that? It, it's almost like they made it an adult cartoon. And uh, it didn't. And I love Justified. We've all talked right. about it. We love well, it's it. It's one of my favorite series yeah. of all time. So when you have that as a backdrop and we're comparing this to that, yeah. which we're going to do, this fell. Way, way, way short. Way short. It was still better than a lot of things on television, but not by much. That's what well, I would say. Only because Timothy Oliphant That's is correct. so good. That's correct. And his daughter, which, by the way, was his real daughter, who's in the first number of episodes. Never bought her. You didn't buy her. <laughs> I thought she was okay. She was okay. But I didn't like but her. But then she disappeared forever. Yeah. Then yeah. she came back at the end. Yeah. I did, I did not like her character, but I thought she did a good job with it, of playing an unlikable teenager. 
But uh, yeah. it was a very it was very disappointing. So I would I would still say go. You know, you got Yellowstone, you got eighteen eighty three, you got nineteen twenty three, you got the Tulsa King. I, I need to it. watch that. Tulsa King is really good. It's, I'm watching a couple things right now, including the Bear. Yeah, I've been watching the Hulu. Bear. You, you talked to me to watch in the Bear, and so I think I'm on episode four or five right yeah. now. Yeah, stay I'm, with it. Yeah, I'm watching Yellow Jackets again. I haven't watched season two. Season two is substantially better than season one. I have to watch of Yellow Jackets. I'll have to give it a shot. Yeah. I'd give it a get, – get through the first three episodes. That they're kind of doing some story development. Some things happen. But it was – it's uh, it's pretty good. And, th- and there's other good shows as well. Just in the last two weeks, I've been Watching doing a lot more reading. series on Hulu about the Mormons Yeah, uh, and uh, a murder. And it has Andrew Garfield uh, in it as the lead character. And it's – can't think of the name of it off the top of my head. Uh but it then it also has a very, very good Native American actor. He was in uh, uh, Hell or High Water as Jeff Bridges. Yeah, yeah I know who he, he was. Also in Longmire. And I and I can't think of his name. Yeah, I can't think which of his name. Irritates either. the heck out of me. He's a very good actor. And yes, he is. He's kind of like a modern, uh, not quite as old, but he's not a young guy either. Kind of a modern day West Studi. Yeah, is the way I would. And this guy is very good. And and that's been a good series. Uh, but man, <laughs> it's a letdown when you when you're so excited about seeing something, and then you watch it, and at the end of it, it's like, hey, uh, yeah, yeah, too bad, yeah. too bad. They they tried, just didn't work for me. Yeah. I will say regarding movies with Equalizer three, same type of character, or it's the same character, same type of story, but different enough from the first two to to hold its own. And uh, so I, I don't think I've ever seen. One of the first two, yeah, which he's, is embarrassing. He's kind of like a former CIA hitman. And uh, it's a totally different kind of role for Denzel Washington. He enjoys going late night, sitting in the coffee shop, having a cup of coffee, reading a book. And then, you know, by unseen circumstances, you find out that this guy is not what he appears to be. He didn't like strays. Am I right about I that? I did not. I was really disappointed. I think I said on the air I expected to be the summer box office hit. Will Ferrell, Jamie Foxx. Yeah. I didn't like Didn't do it for no. you. It was it was too adult, and the humor. It's not that I'm opposed to adult humor. I think uh, there's a lot of good movies out there like that. Dumb and Dumber is an example, but it was it was just over the top, and I just didn't like Strays. So, well, that's too bad. Yeah, yeah but sometimes sometimes happens. that happens. It happens. Uh, so what's your next, what's next on your movie list? I'll have to look and see what's showing this weekend. I usually like to go on Thursday nights because I get into an opening night movie to see. I, I've not seen the uh, race car movie and I'm trying to think hey, of the name of it. Uh, I've not seen it yet. So I'm looking forward to it about the kid that plays the video game. Yeah. That's Have you heard anything about, uh, the, the saving the Warren downtown and old town? Yes. Uh, a buddy of mine's been a big part of helping do that. We've had him as a guest on the show. Leaf Yonkers has helped with uh-huh. that. And, Are they uh, making any progress on that? M- more than they thought uh, in trying to get someone to save it and come in. They're looking at a theater in Austin as an example. They came up and looked at it, but no word as to advances at this point in time that I'm aware of. And uh, it was a lot of good. By the way, we, we did just have the uh, Comic-Con in town, and we had a number of actors and actresses that were in town doing presentations. Really? The lead actor from Rocky Horror Picture Show, uh, Bing Crosby's granddaughter, I think it's Denise Crosby is her name, that's been in the new Star Trek and is, was in The Walking Dead and other shows. Huh. And uh, I was very surprised. The, uh, the, the, the lead actor, not, not Tim Curry, but the guy that played the guy, uh, the, the, the newlywed, 
uh, in Rocky Horror Picture Show. He was here, and he gave a great presentation talking about the movie and having fun with the audience. Interesting. Yeah. All right, Mike, good to see you. Thanks for doing this today. It's Much fun. appreciated. Uh, we'll see you next week, and yeah. keep in touch. And we get to, we get the sound of hearing Jeff's 10 movies way down on yeah, his top 71 to 80 this <laughs> week. All right, thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks to Max back in the studio. We will be back tomorrow. Jason Duda will be with me. We hope you're here as well. Have a good night. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.